Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Thanks, sponsors, Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huck the Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, CompC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Here's another episode. Hope you enjoy. We see market volatility across a lot of um, different industries and assets currently. But when I think about your history and the history of Beckett as well, and just the price and value of cards, given the changes we're seeing in the market and the marketplace, what do you think about the volatility we're seeing? And then also just the ability to track and really understand the market value of cards these days. Cards move faster than they did in the old days. There's just more information, more volatility, more movement. In the digital world, something can happen halfway across the world and you can know it. So it makes printed price guides be I won't say obsolete. They could have a purpose, but not really for the hottest cards. But as for the volatility, the stock market, I wouldn't call it volatile. Lately, it's been going down. So when some cards go up and some cards go down, which has been the case mostly for my whole life, mostly up, but some have gone down or stayed the same or been stagnant. So that's a mixed market. And I hope we always have that. I used to say when we had our price guides, if cards were the same every month, People wouldn't buy a magazine. They wouldn't need it. But there was a lot of movement, but there's a lot more now on the noteworthy cards. On the run-of-the-mill cards, they don't move as fast. You're not going to do a, some major lookup for a $5 card. $500, yes. $5, not so much. So that volatility was my friend back in the day. Now, I think we should accept it and say, this is not a bad thing. If things went straight up, then that's a recipe for an eventual crash. So if things are acting like the stock market and other investments that have jagged ups and downs, more ups than downs, but jagged ups and downs, I just think that's healthier. I'm glad I'm retired from that because it was a lot of work to try to track even on a monthly basis. And now it's hourly. Some of the card shows, you see movement during the show. And that was the case before, but you didn't have a chance to know it. But excellent question. Thank you very much. You're encouraging me to stay retired. <laughs> Joe. Yeah, Josh brought up about some of the volatility in the overall market. And now we're looking at high inflation. We're looking at a possible recession based upon all the economic factors. Even though you had already sold the business, sold back in 2008, of course, was the ugliest year I can remember in our recent past. What words of wisdom would you give, whether it be to shop owners or investors? We may be entering into this bear market and the stock market as to how they should proceed in terms of the way they invest in the hobby, would you recommend vintage? I'd recommend caution. Go ahead. Yeah. I just think as the greatest hobby in the world, it's still not predictable because there have been times in my lifetime, it's been counter cyclical with the overall economy, but there's times when it's been cyclical where the market goes down, cards go down too. If people are worried about putting food on the table, they're not going to buy cards. The tricky thing in our industry is they may not sell cards either. Or what would they sell if they do belt tightening? And in our industry, there's a perception that the quality cards would be the last things that people would sell, even though they'd be the highest price. You could dig your way out of a, out of a hole if you just sold your 52 tops mantle. A pure investor, yeah, it's gone. A true collector is going to have some trouble making that call. But again, we're doing Father's Day here. What's best for my family? If the hobby gets in the way of what's best for your family, it's no longer a hobby, it's an addiction. Or it's an investment, and as any investment can go up and can go down. We've always had 2% inflation, something like that. Now we've got four, five, six, seven, and it won't be that way forever, I don't think. 
But on the other hand, people could say, if you're having inflation, don't hold cash, hold stuff. They're not necessarily talking about holding baseball cards, except in the sense that it's probably good to have 10% of your portfolio, your investable funds in something that's like an alternative. But many collectors I know have way more than 10%. That's their savings account. Okay, here's my question. We've heard all this about fanatics and Google thinks huge. So Josh, no stranger to that. What if next summer, 2023, fanatics has figured out a way to get sports cards and entertainment cards, a strong card presence in every grocery store in America? Good thing or bad thing? Blasters. I'm not talking about individual cards. I'm talking about some kind of packaging. But every major grocery, every minor grocery, every place where you can buy food, there's cards close by. Good thing or bad thing? Right. There are a lot of nuances when we think about current collectors, hobby shop owners, etc. But as a general rule, I think expansion into new storefronts and then new people participating in the card market is good for everyone. It doesn't sound like what happened slightly before you were born. Anyway, let's hear from Joe before I yeah. respond. But okay, think, good or bad? I think it would be fantastic because I love it. If collectors have an opportunity to get their appetizers at the grocery store, then they come to the hobby shop for the main course. I love when they give away packs at stadiums. I would love it if collectors can be introduced to the hobby. Now, granted, I don't want them selling National Treasures and Tops Tribute and stuff like that at, at your local Walmart or grocery store, whatever it might be. We have customers come, they buy blasters at Target or Walmart or whatever, and they come in and go, I bought these, but I want some really good stuff. You have those boxes where I can pull autographs in every box and that kind of stuff. Yeah, It's already a huge introduction for many collectors who come into our store or order from us online. They get a sample of some stuff elsewhere, but they want the really good stuff, the higher price boxes they want to buy from a hobby retailer. I'm curious, uh, you've both seen several booms in the hobby over the years. And I think this most recent one has seen just a rise in, I'll call it participants, right? Not necessarily buyers, but different marketplaces, new entrances, grading companies, just all sorts of different service and product providers. And I'm curious what you all think about this rise in optionality, I guess I'll call it, across every aspect of the hobby. Do you all think that is a good thing for the hobby? Or do you think there's going to be some consolidation and some changes in the coming years? There's paradox of choice, the book that suggests if you're confronted with too many choices, people throw up their hands. So I don't want to see a hundred different grading companies, but I never wanted to be the only, it's not good to have a monopoly. So I welcome the competition. When I was in business, I only wanted to be in first place. I didn't necessarily want to own all the marbles because that's not healthy. It's going to grow with some competition, especially in the technology aspect that it really gets like an iron sharpening iron. And you got to keep up. And in many cases, younger guys coming in and say, why can't we do it this way? That's not the way we did it before, but this is a new thing. My old company is trying to not reinvent itself, but to double down on being a, a, a product and services leader for our industry. And we'll see how that goes. I hope they sustain that commitment. Joe, I, well, I look back at the early 90s when I opened the store in 1991. And of course, we were seeing explosive growth then. But unfortunately, it led to overproduction. A lot of people got in for the ride and then got out. Then by 94, 95, things were bad. Companies were going under and companies had printed away too much product, not only too many SKUs, but too much of each SKU and so forth. And this 
iteration has been very different. I tell people who say, oh, the hobby got hot because of COVID. I'm like, no, no. Those who have actually been in the hobby full time, I can show you steady growth starting in about 2016 and going up since then. Now we spiked and yes, it went crazy the last couple of years. Long-term as somebody who's a lifer in this, I want to see sustained growth over decades. We've had this hyper growth where some have jumped in and already gotten back out because the ultra modern basketball, they were grading everything that had Zion's name on it or John Morant's name on it. And now a year and a half later, they're getting the cards back and suddenly they're not all worth what they thought they were going to be. I hope we see continued steady growth because things have spiked so quickly, relatively the last couple of years have been insane with the growth we've seen and the new entrants. I'm hoping that those who just jumped in for the quick flip, I hope they will learn to love the hobby as we do. And that it's not just investors who come in short term. And I don't believe that's the case. I see so many new collectors every week in our store. I see more kids now than I've seen in decades in our store, which is encouraging. Hopefully the true collectors, all the new collectors who have come in will help us sustain long-term continued growth. Since we're so heavily invested in the graded card market, and obviously you made the point, we don't need a hundred different companies. Already just in the last couple of years, we've seen some come in that made a splash and may not stick around. Right now, we're finally seeing reasonable pricing being introduced again for the first time in a long time. What is your forecast? We've recently got about four leading companies now that are fairly respected in the industry. Do you think four can survive? And do you think we're ever going to see $10 or $12 grading again from PSA or BGS or SGC? You're talking about four companies. One is forecasting to a million parts a month, I think. And the other three are forecasting probably north of 100,000 cards a month. There's critical mass there. So if these other beyond those four can get to that threshold, it's hard to break in. There's a lot of noise and branding is important for resale value. So if you can get your cards back the next day or the same day, but they sell for the equivalent of one grade lower for a certain card, maybe that works. For an expensive card, it, it probably doesn't. Right. So I think people are doing the math, even though they don't put a pencil to it. They're doing the math. What I've been interested in seeing is that, say, as the volume market leader, if they lower their prices, their price peg is what determines what the others can charge. Yeah. If they lower in more of a, I hate to say, predatory, it's going to be tough. PSA is 20 and a no-name brand is 10, then people are still going to pick 20. Exactly. If they did $5, I, at some point you say, gee, I don't, if it's only $5 to get it graded, then how good could it be? So I think there's some reverse psychology there that PSA is enjoying in their private new ownership status, that margin is a big deal and they're making a lot of money and they've got a great position. And so my old company, I want to help them to challenge that. But to do that, they've got to get their oxygen mask on and get back moving faster in the right direction, which I believe they're doing. Okay, last question. So somebody comes up to me, a new collector. If I were to give them this advice, tell me if you would agree or disagree or whether you would soften it. If somebody came to me, I said, I'd say, for your budget, I think you need to pick up a more affordable PC player. I love LeBron. I love Michael. I love... Tiger Woods, I love Tom Brady. Unless you're extremely wealthy, the best cards of LeBron and those guys are out of reach. You might want to consider getting involved with a favorite player that's not sought after by everybody. I'll be controversial. I'll actually say that 
if your favorite player, someone you admire and respect and want to hold on to long-term happens to be one of those all-time greats, the Jordans, the Kobe's, the LeBron's, the Tigers, I would say get into a more affordable, let's call it entry-level rookie or maybe second or third year card. The reason those cards are as high as they are is because there's demand and that demand is going to be sustained. And so you don't necessarily have to get the 03 exquisite rookie patch auto LeBron. You can find those affordable options. The upper deck box set LeBron, for example, I would say chase after your favorite player and don't make compromises. I agree, but let's hear what Joe says. Yeah, I would agree. It's funny, Josh mentioned the box set LeBron because he and I probably own more LeBron rookies than any two people on the planet because we've bought up thousands of the box set and the phenomenal beginnings and all those things because we like LeBron. He's going to be the all-time scoring leader and they're affordable. And we've turned a lot of collectors on to stuff like that. I had a collector come in who wanted to get into Brady, but he didn't have the budget for it. And I said, we've got plenty of nice second-year cards of Brady. So he bought up a ton of second-year cards graded them to put them in his PC. So there are alternative ways to still collect the guys you want without breaking the bank. Josh, as a kid, had a notebook full of Kobe cards and they weren't autographs. They probably had some rookies in there, but it was dollar cards, $2 cards. And he had a notebook full of them, but you can get some of that, but it's also okay to, to pick and choose, speculate some young guys who may turn out to be the next whoever down the road. There are always affordable alternatives if you take your time, shop with us, with other companies online that have large online selections, there are ways to buy who you want without going broke. I agree with you guys. My point is Trey Young is not 10 times better than John Collins. They're about the same age. They're both really outstanding. Trey is more popular right. by a factor of 10. Yeah. But say, hey, why don't you collect John Collins? That's my thought. Yeah. With the NBA, you normally have to look at each team and there's going to be those one or two guys max on a team. Of course, Josh and I follow the Hawks. We have a ton of trade and John Collins rookies are some, and Collins is a great player, but he doesn't get the attention. And most teams, you say, who's the star on this team? Therefore, he's the guy that's going to be collected because it's hard to find the third and fourth guy on a team that's ever in demand. Thanks, Davis, family, father, and son. That was fun. The man that-